Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Profitability Podcast. I'm your host, Eddie Pinar. Every week on this podcast, I have a conversation with a fascinating guest, whether they're an entrepreneur, artist, musician, author, poet, or artisan, to learn more about how they live a life that is uniquely profitable. My guest today is Nora Wendell, a teacher, coach, and soon-to-be-published author. She teaches feminine magnetism, which is the art of being a confident, sexy woman. In growing up, Nora has lived all over the world, and as a child, had her own elephant. Having lived in countries like Thailand, India, Nepal, Australia, United Kingdom, and South Africa, she has first-hand experience of so many different cultures, religions, and philosophies all of which shows up in her work today and in her thriving teaching business. This was an ingenuine conversation right from the start that almost turns into a meditation in other parts, which was delightful in its own right. Nora and I discussed the notion of seeking effortless pleasure in work and life, creating pleasure lists for ourselves, and why self-expression is so important. We also spoke about feminine and masculine energies, how capitalism needs to be evolved, and how that next generation of capitalism needs to be more feminine-led. Let's flow straight into this vibrant and juicy, a word she likes, conversation with Nora Wendell. Hey, Nora, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Mm, My absolute pleasure. I should have totally expected that there was going to be some audio and there was going to be a lot of emotion or energy there as you were going to react. So for anyone, for all listeners that kind of don't know who Nora Wendell is, what I want to kind of you, you to start off with is just tell us how you introduce yourself today to someone, to a stranger, to someone new in your life. And, and crucially, I'm very curious about whether you use any specific labels in that introduction. Oh, great. Well, hi, everybody. My name is Nora, Nora Wendell, and I like to call myself a feminine magnetism expert. And you might be like, all right, well, what is that? I teach women specifically how to live a life of effortless pleasure and effortless luxury. And how do you do that? It's reconnecting to your femininity, reconnecting to your sexuality and your desires, which are so often repressed, which allows you to have really epic and erotic relationships. And if you think about it, foundationally, all of us want to get loved. And for me, this process is femininity, reconnection to sexuality, and the relationship to yourself and to others to find that love. And that is my definition, and that is me. And you can hear that uh, that's always not the first time that you've kind of shared exactly that. It seems like a very finely tuned kind of messaging there. What I'm curious about there very firstly, Nora, is like you use the word effortless there, right? And I think, you know, just even saying, acknowledging that that was a very clear description of kind of what you do, what you present into this world, that kind of thing takes work, right? which kind of suggests that it takes effort. So I'm curious how you kind of why you use that word kind of effortless pleasure, for example, in that description and how you think about things that are effortless. Mm, Well, okay, we're going to dive right in into the masculine and feminine. (laughs) Because for me, (laughs) for 
for me, the feminine is actually effortless. When you really tune into it, it's really a way of embodied being where it's not about work, but it's more about play. Whereas the masculine is much more results oriented and focused and driven. And it's not to say that the masculine can't be effortless, but it's definitely a quality of the feminine. And when I really think about my life and how I have manifested or attracted the things I truly desired, it's not because I slaved away thinking in a lack mentality about it, but it's really because I embodied my desire and the feeling that I wanted. So if I wanted, let's say, you know, a 10K client, I don't want the 10K client, but I want the feeling that that 10K client comes. And you cannot work hard at feeling. Feeling comes effortlessly. It's an embodied state of being. And this is why I think effortlessness is such a key word in my life because I do not want to work hard. I simply do not want to work hard. I want to play. I want to have joy. I want to have so much pleasure. And for me, that is what effortlessness is. Yeah. And you know what resonates there, Nora, is the notion that I think we often get stuck in this kind of almost binary choice between having to say, like we as humans, kind of when we talk about work, right, and whether it's professional work or otherwise, but just acknowledging here that, you know, everyone listening here, you know, probably they have bills to pay, like money, capitalism, all those things are still very kind of a big part of our life. But we get into that kind of, you know, very binary choice of having to say, do we live to work or do we work to live? Both of those two things seem to neglect what the kind of the, the magic that actually kind of happens in between those two things, which is not either, it can't be, you know, work to live or live to work, right? It, it is probably all about that playful energy in between those two nodes. Let me tell you a little story. Last week, I went through what I call the spiritual washing machine, where you're getting slapped around with a wet sock in your face and you're literally thinking, what the effing F is going on? Like questioning, self-doubt, what am I doing? Why am I doing all of these things? So I call that the spiritual washing machine. And perhaps you resonate with that term now that I've used it. And then I really was like, I had to stop and question my beliefs and be like, why am I doing the things? Is it for money? What is the money going to be used for? Or is it for joy? Like, why am I showing up in this life? What am I here for? Yes, I get it. Huge existential questions, which is why I called it my spiritual washing machine moment. And what I got out of it was like, you know what? I'm actually here to experience joy and pleasure. Why do I want money? Well, I want money so that I can go on adventure, so I can experience joy and I can experience pleasure. So I'm like, okay, well, why am I so focused on just the money, but not the joy and the pleasure in my life? And this is all about experience. So my, when you were saying is you live to work or work to live, I'm like, all right, the middle ground is experiencing the fullness of your life. Well, in all its emotional capacity. And that I think is mindfulness that is slowing down to tune into your feelings, specifically people who are very determined, often push away everything in order to get to their goals. And then when they reach the goal, it might be a momentary celebration and then they're ready onto the next thing, right? And your to-do list of goals will never end. And yes, that is the beauty of it. But then when you're rushing to it, 
where is the beauty of just the experience? The beauty of feeling, let's say, you know, not so good about yourself, or if I can swear, you know, shit about yourself. That is a whole process in itself. Because I believe we need the contrast in life. You have to feel shit about yourself to know that actually you don't want to feel this way. You want to feel empowered or energized, joyful, radiant, alive. So this all comes back down to the experience. And what is the feminine? The feminine is all about the experience. Yeah. And I think something that I can share there, Nora, is as part of my own mindfulness journey, which started probably about four or five years ago now. And it started as kind of almost a gun to my head way, which sounds contradictory when you speak about kind of mindfulness, but mindfulness was recommended to me by my therapist because at the time, the rest of my life or big parts of my life was on the brink of falling apart. And mindfulness is what kind of brought me back from that edge and kind of ultimately exposed the whole new world to me. And I think as part of my own exploration there, you know, getting into kind of Buddhism, getting into kind of Tantra, all these things, what I learned about kind of both the male and you know, kind of you know, feminine, masculine, feminine energies are, I think, exactly what you described there, which in my words, and I think one of the books that the whole book is, and I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to listeners, it's a little woo-woo. It was a little woo-woo to, you know, for me as well. But the book was um, David Dida's The Way of a Superior Man. And there are large parts where it's like, like this is doesn't resonate. But the one thing that I think that I can translate and communicate is this notion that masculine energy generally kind of always seeks that release, seeks that kind of, you know, end goal, right? Whereas the feminine, the female energy stays in that kind of, stays in the moment, stays in the, you know, experience, stays in the chaos, stays in the magic for much longer without necessarily constantly needing that release, right? Which I think is, is fascinating when we think about kind of career paths, building lives, and think about the future because we sometimes kind of sequence these things together. It's, I will kind of work 80 hours a week this week and for the next you know, five years because at the end of it, there's going to be this magical goal, whereas it sh should probably not be that. But I would love to hear your take on it. This is, like, you know, this is I, not me telling stories. I completely agree with you. And for everybody, anybody who is listening, if you just close your eyes for a moment and really just tune into how you're feeling right now, and then you think about your goals and how do your goals make you feel? Maybe you're like excited, maybe you're frustrated because you're not able to reach them. And I just want you to allow yourself just to think that it doesn't actually matter if I reach my goals because it's all about the person you are becoming on the way to your goals. It is always about who you want to be and, and your value system and your beliefs. And you were, ta were talking about Tantra there. And for me, Tantra has become very sexualized in the West, all about sex. Great, amazing, 100% love it. And when I consider Tantra and growing up in India and Nepal, I was surrounded by this. It's really the art of aliveness. That's what Tantra is about. It's the art of aliveness of how can you tune into the sensations of your body through your five senses to become a highly sensual being. And that is also mindfulness ultimately, right? It's slowing things down to feel we are human, I always say this, we're not human beings only, but we are actually human feelings. We are here to feel everything. And the beauty of it is we can decide right this moment, you can decide to feel joy by just deciding, I'm going to feel joyful now. Let me think about all the things that I'm gonna, I can be joyful about. 
Yeah, these are like higher vibration states. I'm gonna have gratitude. You can be thankful in any moment. This is a big differentiation we have from, let's say, the animal kingdom, is we can choose how we want to feel. That is the power we have as humans. And that is also, if you're talking about woo-woo, I'm super big into manifestation. Whether or not you believe in it, the fact is everything is energy. Everything, when you think about it at a molecular level, comes down to energy. Okay, your thought is energy, the table, our internet is energy, how you're hearing me through interpreted through your ears, everything is energy. So when you think about what you want in life, think about that energy behind it and how you feel. And this is why intentionality works so well. This is why gratitude works so well, because it's all about the energy behind all of your feelings. Back to Tantra. It's all about energy. It's all about aliveness. It's all about the senses and what makes you feel the most alive in this moment. <sighs> take a pause, take a breath, tune in. Just listening to me right now. What are you feeling? What's going on for you? Whether or not you have resistance, totally fine. Everything is welcome. All your experiences are always welcome. Or whether you're resonating and you're going, yes, oh my God, I love her. It's all welcome here. It's all part of your human feeling existence. And let me just reiterate, the power you have is deciding in every moment how you choose to feel. Yeah, and I think, Nora, if we, like, we probably have you know, people on uh, two camps here, right? We, we've got those that are within the first 10 minutes of the conversation are super kind of, you know, in tune, energy kind of bibbity-bobbity here, kind of at the, at the high level resonating. Perhaps we lost a few others, and that's okay too, right? So I, I think when at least many of these things, and I call them woo-woo more as a as a way to say parts of that didn't resonate with me. I think as I've explored you know, things, if I have explored kind of literature, many of these things that I can't you know, kind of necessarily explain seems to kind of make more sense to me as well, right? And like for me, it's almost become that point where just because I can't necessarily explain it doesn't mean it doesn't resonate and, and add value. And I think like, you know, one of the best things as you were describing that molecular energy is, you know, one of Alan Watts' teachings where he's specifically talking about energy. And I, I'm going to totally butcher this, but he tells the story about how life isn't about endings and how if it was, and he makes an analogy to music, he says, if life was about endings, the greatest composers would only be focused on the finale, would not be kind of focused on kind of the whole, you know, composition, right? And he tells this whole story, but in kind of that, he extends and he starts explaining how we as atoms are constantly kind of, you know, playing up against you. And he specifically like, that's why I use that kind of um, the sound, probably a sound where he explains it as like this bippity boppity thing, right? And I, I'm not a scientist. I understand most high level scientific things. I don't care much for those things. It, you know, for me, it's just become this illumination of how I can think about life and how I can ultimately guide myself, my energy, you know, into the universe. <laughs> Maybe we just lost a few other people there talking about the universe, okay? <laughs> Whatever you want to call it, I will always say something greater than you is what I say. An energetic field that is greater than you. You can call it God, you can call it universe, Allah, whatever it is. In my belief system, and that is my belief system, it is all one in any case. And I have a very wide viewpoint of let's say religion because i grew up in so many different countries i'm i'm you know swiss by passport but i was born in thailand i grew up in nepal i went to boarding school in india i've lived in thailand i've lived in south africa i've lived in brazil i've lived in london i've lived in australia and now i live in bali so i welcome all of these different viewpoints and i 
I studied and I trained in authentic relating, which is how do you drop judgments around other people? How can you feel safe enough within yourself to really, truly, authentically express yourself? Which is why I talk a lot about desires, because so many of us fear. We fear truly being ourselves because we fear that ultimately we're going to be rejected. We're not going to be loved for who we are. We're not good enough for the love. We're not going to get the love that we so truly want, which is what I said in the beginning. Beginning in my in my introduction, foundationally, when we come into this world, the number one thing that underlies the rest of your life is this longing to be loved. And we make such a big mess out of it. We make a huge mess out of it because we either don't recognize it, okay, or we fall into the traps of thinking we need to do something else in order to be loved. Yeah, we have to be someone else. We have to have this career. We have to dress this way in order to be loved. Take a breath, release that. No, you don't. And when you can recognize that in yourself, that's when life, and I call this, this is one of my favorite words, becomes juicy. Life becomes juicy when you get to authentically express yourself and not fear what the other is going to think of you and make how that reflects inside your brain of like, oh, I can't do this because of the other. That's freedom. Totally. So what I'm curious about, Nora, there is like, what are the kind of your daily habits, daily, weekly habits, disciplines, kind of perspectives, mindsets that you take to ensure that you, firstly, are also kind of you're showing up as your truest self and expressing your truest self, like on a daily basis? Mm, it's such a great question. And it's changed over the years. Right now, I am 100% into mindset journaling. Now, some of you might journal, some of you might not journal, that's totally fine. Mindset journaling isn't just journaling. It's asking yourself the right questions that allow you to expand who you want to be. So it's an embodied state of writing. So I ask myself questions which are very much based around, for example, if my life were effortless, it would look like this. Right. And so then I'm, I'm writing statements like if my life were effortless, then, you know, I would wake up with such joy because I knew everything would be working out for me. If my life were effortless, uh, I would be easily moving around, let's say, Bali or the islands or when we can travel, traveling around. If my life were effortless, I would then hire all the people that I needed in order to make it even more effortless, okay? So it's allowing me to become the Nora, which is effortless because I'm journaling about it. Another great mindset journaling question I often do is like, now that I'm, and that's whatever state you want, now that I'm a multimillionaire, now that, I, that I'm truly loved for who I am, now that I've, I'm a published author, I, and then you fill in the blank, I feel so free or I wake up and, you know, go jogging every morning. It doesn't matter. But these statements are getting you into an embodied state of being. And like I mentioned before, the beauty of humanity is that we can instantaneously feel feelings. So when I do my mindset journaling, I am journaling and writing down as that next step Nora the Nora that I want to become because I'm feeling those feelings of that Nora. Sounds a little bit convoluted, but I highly recommend mindset journaling. I actually have a mindset journaling tribe and I call it mind play because what you're doing is you're playing, you're expanding your mind into who you want to become by writing things down. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I think there are so many anecdotes there from just for the top of my head, right, Nora, that kind of supports that very notion, right? I mean, I, I think it was Edison, 
that kind of used to, as he went to sleep at night, kind of would write down this thing that he was kind of struggling to figure out. And then kind of many mornings, not many mornings, but often in the mornings he would wake up and he would have made progress like on that thing because there is that intention for, for him to say, I'm going to give my mind that space to figure this out. And I'm going to almost take a step back, right? That's the one that can, you know comes to mind. The other is um, James Clear, who wrote a book called Atomic Habits. He essentially says that like in any habit that you want to establish, which I think is similar to taking, you know, taking a mind step, but by just kind of, you know, every single time you do that thing, you're essentially investing in the future version of yourself, that intentional future version of yourself you want to manifest. And I think oftentimes, you know, that just starts with those words. And it's much better when it's kind of not just words in my head, but actually words on a piece of paper or on a computer screen at least. Well, when you ask yourself the right questions, you get very interesting answers, right? The, if you talk to anybody who does any sort of speaking or interviewing, it's always about asking the right questions because then you get the juicy answers. You were talking about asking yourself a question before you go to sleep. I do that quite often because what happens is the conscious mind goes to sleep your subconscious doesn't differentiate between reality, what you see out there and what you imagine. So you can ask yourself an open-ended question before you go to sleep and it's your subconscious will work on it without the conscious ego mind thinking you can't do that. Who are you to do that, right? It's the limiting beliefs is in your uh, ego, in your conscious mind. And so you can come up with amazing answers that you didn't even know you had in you if you do ask your subconscious a question right before you go to sleep. You asked about what other habits I do. I do so many habits because I know, now I've studied NLP and NLP is neuro-linguistic programming. It's understanding the language the brain uses to talk to itself. And now you have to remember if you've just heard this for the first time listen closely we have external influence which we cannot change okay our close environment we can kind of control but in general we have external influence which gets filtered in through our senses that creates thought a thought we keep thinking creates our beliefs, okay? We have belief systems. These are multiple beliefs. I can't wear that. I can't do this. I'm not good enough for that. Those are all our beliefs. We also have positive beliefs, not only limiting beliefs, okay? Our beliefs govern our actions, okay? If you're thinking, oh, I can't apply for that job because I'm not good enough, that's a belief system which is keeping you down. It means you're not gonna take the action to apply for that job, for instance. What happens? Our actions create our reality. So this is how, so if you wanna change your reality that you see around you, you have to go back to thought because you cannot change your external influence and you cannot change our actual physical senses and how we process information. What you can change is how you think. And how you talk to yourself matters. I can't even emphasize how much it matters. So a thing that I do is I watch myself talk. I am highly aware. Now I had a history of 10 years of anxiety where my self-talk was so negative that I couldn't leave my house. I was in codependent relationships. I was beating myself down. I call it self-flagellation because my self-talk was like, you're not good enough. Or what are you doing? Why aren't you normal? Why can't you do this alone? Now, 
because of my journey with anxiety, I am so hyper aware of how I talk to myself. I catch myself out when I think a thought that I know that I don't want to become true in my reality. So I talk to myself intentionally when I wake up. Today's going to be a great day. Of course, I'm going to get a new client today. Oh my God, I'm going to feel so sexy and sensual today. I'm just going to have the best day ever. I talk to myself like this. It is intentional. I look at myself in the mirror. You are beautiful, Nora. You are stunning. Now, you might think I'm completely crazy. I want you to try this for yourself for 30 days. Give it a chance for 30 days. Watch yourself talk. Only talk things that you want to actually happen. Because if you look in the mirror and you're thinking, oh, I'm fat. Oh my God, I'm unsuccessful. You know what's going to happen? You're going to feel worse about yourself. You're not going to take the action you want to do. And what's going to happen? You're going to be fat. You're not going to go to the gym because you're talking to yourself. I feel fat. I feel terrible. Da, 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 da. So there, I self-talk is like, mm, I nail it in the bud before it gets anywhere where I'm feeling bad about myself. So that is another thing that I do daily. And I have a whole sensuality practice to really embody feeling in my body. And that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> so as I listen to you, Nora, I'm curious about the journey you took to get to where you are today, right? And kind of get to where you are today, kind of you can interpret that in any way you want, right? I think for many people, some of us have these very kind of significant single events that kind of you know, course, you know, creates a big kind of change in course in our lives. And we kind of adopt new things, learn new things, make dramatic changes. For others or in other aspects of you know, our life, it's probably more of an incremental kind of you know, gradual change. So take us back kind of you know, to wherever in the past, right? And you know, a few of those kind of highlights or timestamps at least that illuminated this path that you're on at this stage and in your opinion kind of truly contributed to the Nora you are today? Mm, such a beautiful question. I think I have to give thanks to both my parents, particularly my dad, because my dad has a very extraordinary outlook on life and he loves doing things extraordinary. So I grew up in a wild environment like in Nepal in the 80s because my dad was studying Sanskrit at the time. And his whole philosophy is we're not here to live ordinary lives. We're here to experience life. So I grew up in that environment. I went to boarding school at two different times, very young in India. So you might be like, whoa, exactly. It was out of the ordinary. It shaped me. It formed me. So that is a huge part of my upbringing. Now, another major event, apart from living in all of these different countries, was at 24, I had a panic attack on the London Underground. And that made me not trust myself. That made me so afraid of something is going to happen to me. I am not okay. I am not safe. And it took 10 years of personal development. And I still traveled the world. I still had, I still did my things. I opened a company in India. I lived in South Africa. I was doing graphic design for international entrepreneurs while living in Cape Town. I still did the things, but my underlying self-worth, my underlying worry was like, I am not okay. I can't trust myself. I can't trust the universe. I can't trust anybody. I'm not okay. And that stemmed from my panic attack. And it was only when I moved to Bali, um, this was four years ago, and actually my father lives in between Bali and India. I joined him here in Bali because I was just like, I need an environment where I feel completely self to finally dive into this, this fear of not being okay. It was like my deepest, darkest fear that I would have another panic attack and that I would go crazy and I would be all alone, like homeless on the street. And like, I would, 
ultimately then die because nobody loved me. Like that's the kind of level of thinking that went down on me. And when I moved to Bali, I did so much embodiment work. I did so much emotional release through movement. I did a lot of tantric workshops and breathing techniques and everything. And I did a lot of therapy on top of that too, because ultimately I knew that I didn't want to be this Nora that was so scared, that was not willing to trust. I wanted to be the Nora that was like, you know, ripping her hair open from her ponytail, running down the street going, oh my God, yes, I'm alive. And just trusting that no matter what, I would always be supported. And that took work. So I don't like to call it work. That took looking at myself and my deepest, darkest fears. And so it's not like one moment I was like had anxiety and then I didn't. It was a really long process. And my whole life brought me up into this moment, just like all of us, right? Wherever you're sitting here and you're listening to this, you're standing, you're cooking, what are you doing? It all shapes us. But definitely why I'm teaching what I'm teaching is because I've experienced that disconnect from my femininity. It didn't feel safe to be a, a really like confident woman. It didn't, I also grew up in India where, you know, sexuality, you can't be uh, expressed so much because it's not a, a society which welcomes that, let's put it that way, okay? And you, you get undivided attention, which doesn't feel good when you're in India. And so that was a huge disconnect in my life also. I didn't trust, I, didn't, I couldn't express myself sexually as a woman, and I was having codependent relationships because I didn't think that I could be alone because of my anxiety. And those are the core pillars of what I teach now. <sighs> It sounds, um, I mean, just listening to you, I mean, that sounds like a, a very full life, right? So, which I mean is a compliment, I think. We often, you know, think about kind of just a busy life, but truly thinking about a full life, I think, is a great aspiration for all of us to have, you know, a life full of, whether it's full of diversity, full of experiences, all of those things, just a very full, you know, full life. I wonder, and again, Nora, like, complete disclaimer, I get guests on the podcast to ask them all the questions that are mostly just for me. And if the, if the listeners value or get value, then, then that's a bonus, right? But as I kind of listen to you, kind of you mentioned your panic attack, right? Which I can, in my mind, what resonates there is that notion of panic attack is something we understand in the Western world, at least, right? That gives us vocabulary. And it's generally that kind of thing that when we experience something like that, it probably compels us to think and consider some change, right? I mean, I mentioned kind of my journey into mindfulness. I mean, there were concrete things in my Western world, right? And when I say Western, it's more or less about the world and more about the vocabulary that I had about, about it that kind of broke down, that forced me to kind of explore these things. So, Two-part question, as, as listeners listen to this, I think, like, what is your kind of suggestion? And firstly, in terms of figuring out kind of if someone like doesn't have a panic attack, i.e. they don't have that kind of sudden, specific, significant kind of moment that compels them to change. But maybe they have this, just this kind of building undercurrent of discontent of some sorts, right? How do they kind of, like, I think, firstly, kind of, how do I, you identify that, right? And acknowledge that, right? And decide appropriate kind of, you know, action. And then kind of what are those first steps kind of going from there, having identified this thing, whatever it is, and then kind of, you know, making progress towards this truer kind of expressed self? Mm, that's such a great question. And I think, you know, if you're dissatisfied or not happy, if you're simply not happy with your life, that is the first indication that something is not in alignment with your desires versus how you're living your life. And happiness is a great look at what do I truly desire? What is working for me in my life? What is not working for me in my life? 
what is making me happy? What is making me unhappy? So my first go-to, my first step would be to sit, to acknowledge, okay, when you have the awareness, the first step is always awareness. You cannot transform without the awareness that you want to transform. It's like, okay, am I truly happy with my life? Or is there underlying aggression or frustration or dissatisfaction, unsatisfaction? Can I acknowledge that? Hand on heart, take a breath. Great, I've acknowledged that, okay. Now, am I willing to look at that? And that means feeling. And so often we don't feel, we numb ourselves out, whether that's with overworking, whether that's sex addiction, whether that's food addiction, whether that's shopping. Often we numb out the feelings we don't want to feel. Have a look, am I doing any of that? Procrastination is also numbing out, right? Not doing the things that you really want to do. <laughs> then asking yourself these questions. How do I want my life to look? How do I want my life to feel? What's working for me? What's not working for me? What's making me happy? What's not making me happy? So that you get a kind of a review of your life at this moment. And that's the second step. Put your hand on your heart. Acknowledge that. Okay. <sighs> that's great. Thank you. Thank you for showing this. I'm very big on self-compassion because I was so hard on myself for 10 years because of the anxiety that I'm always congratulating myself, telling myself I'm doing so well, saying, yes, Nora, you got this. So that's why I'm always like, hand on heart, take a breath, mm, acknowledgement, thank you. Okay, I did this step. Am I ready for the next step? And then it's like, what can I change in my life? Small things, yes, you can make a drastic change if you want to, but you don't have to. For instance, I, a, lot, a thing that I teach a lot of my women is I say, make a pleasure list. Make a list of all the things that actually bring you pleasure in your life. And that can be as small as walking my dog. That can be as small as, you know, not having anything planned for my Sunday morning, but being able to do whatever I desire. That can be buying flowers for myself or somebody else, right? This is a pleasure list. And just really write down, it can be big, buying myself the new car. It doesn't matter. It's just about what brings you pleasure because what brings pleasure makes us happy also. So moments and things you can write down. I don't think you should... You know, be like, oh, I can't be things. No, really just what brings you pleasure. Don't criticize yourself and overanalyze this pleasure list and have a look at it and just decide, you know what? Every day, I'm gonna do one to three things from this list. Maybe that's having a cup of hot lemon water first thing in the morning. I know I feel really good when I do that. Okay, well, why aren't I doing it? Let me just include that into my routine. That's how you start building towards a life which you truly enjoy, a life which brings you this experiential joy. You're allowing yourself the pleasure. So often we are pain avoidant. So we do everything in our life to avoid pain, but we're not navigating towards pleasure. So like, listen to that again. What are you avoiding in terms of pain in your life? And how can you navigate instead of avoiding pain, but actually have the compass focused on pleasure? Yeah, I love that. And there's there's so many, like, again, there's so many different paths that I can take that. I think, like, the one thing that I think can call out there is I think when I think about kind of people and some of the things that I speak about in my upcoming book as well is this notion of kind of, you know, once you recognize, once you have this awareness that everything is not as you want it to be, you are not manifesting as your truest self. I think the hardest part is, like, how do I find this space, whether that's time, whether it's money, to actually start making those changes. Because that's the hardest thing for people, right? Is many of us have certain structures and systems in our life already. So making radical sweeping changes, if you have a family, if you've got a mortgage, like those are things like, sure, it's maybe worldly things, human beings, like all those things 
could probably be addressed. But it's not just a kind of, you know, I can up and leave and like move to another country and be a whole new 80, right? I mean, it is probably about those smaller incremental things and creating this space, even if it is just that cup of hot lemon water in the morning, because that very act it's just a 10 minute act does not require much like compromise or sacrifice elsewhere in a day but that probably creates more space in its own right right which then compounds into kind of bigger changes over time exactly so i really want you to write a pleasure list if you're feeling even if you're not feeling unsatisfied who why not have more pleasure in your life so write this list and like minimum 50 things on it please minimum 50 things as an exercise i do with my clients and i usually ask them to try over 100 things and they're like oh my god i'm like yeah because i want you to think about the little things too it's the little things that stack up and that's you know your habits it's the little habits that you do that stack up and create change same thing it's the little things that you can do that really please you where you start tuning to more pleasure into your life then suddenly you're living this pleasurable life and you're like whoa what happened that's because maybe you did three little pleasure things one after the other whereas three weeks ago you were doing none and all of a sudden you're in this state of like oh i'm really actually enjoying myself so yeah, stacking up the little things really makes a difference. And that's another thing I learned because I wanted drastic change. I wanted to make 500K in one year. And that was making me so unhappy, right? Because it was just like, no, I'm not appreciating the little things, the little things in my life. And this is a big difference. Again, coming back to masculinity and femininity, the masculine is so results and goal oriented, whereas the feminine is experience. It's all about the now. How can I have pleasure now? How can I feel this now? The moment is here. Yes, come. Mm. So just looking at your life and masculine and feminine doesn't mean man or woman. We both have qualities. We're also usually not balanced in those qualities. So just look at it. Look at it in your life and be like, okay, how can I welcome more pleasure? If pleasure is triggering you, triggering you as a word, how can I welcome more joy? How can I welcome more enjoyment into my life? Yeah, totally. And I like I, I can definitely add my plus one, you know, to that. Um, and I think I mentioned like as I you know, started exploring kind of masculine and feminine kind of energy, I also recognized like both those two poles live in me as well, right? And like you know, in, in some contexts and some ways of doing or thinking, they manifested in different ways. And being aware of how that kind of for me at least, how that energy kind of interplays as well, like was insightful. And just being aware of that and be aware of when I was being more masculine versus more feminine has been hugely empowering. I want to read, like, to try this. I've not done this on the podcast before, but since the book is almost out, like, I can start sharing little bits. Since we're talking about kind of masculine and feminine energy, I would love to kind of read you this and just have your take, you know, on it. And specifically because I think for many listeners, male or female, or doesn't matter how they kind of, you know, identify kind of in, in terms of, you know, gender. But I think what we need to acknowledge here is the fact that the world as it's set up today, unfortunately, has a big masculine kind of undercurrent just for centuries, right? So, but I would love your take on that. So it reads, there's an element in all of this that speaks to masculine or toxic masculinity. The whole construct of entrepreneurship and business has been run by rich white men for centuries. The archetype following along tells entrepreneurs, you have to be a man and a man is supposed to mean a certain thing, certain something shot through with socialized paternalism and maleness. And I think they're like entrepreneurship and business. You don't have to be an entrepreneur. You can be any kind of person taking you know, putting something out in the world. Capitalism, kind of, capitalism runs the world. As an autonym, femaleness too, in the world of entrepreneurship, the expected archetype immediately makes female entrepreneurs the odd man out. 
even if women manage to somehow embody all the so-called masculine traits the archetype requires, they do not have the actual body that qualifies. For both men and women, meanwhile, the archetype reinforces pain as power, pain as legitimacy. Mm. I think what really stood out for me there is like competition and the striving for growth because those are both masculine traits and when they're overpowering um, like in capitalism today it is toxic masculinity whereas the I always say this thing is like the future I don't believe the future is female I actually believe the future is feminine led and the feminine led is a place of heart centeredness it's of compassion it's not competition it's compassion being like we can do this together and striving for growth I wrote this down here striving for growth is great and that's you know, the whole industrial revolution was striving for growth. It was all about more. It's all about, okay, what's next? Okay, we need to, uh, you know, have more people. Machines came, okay, clockwork, come on. Uh, society Society works on progression. It works on, we need, we need more. We can't function. That's why there's rules and all of this. And I'm not saying like, oh, we don't need society. No, I truly believe we need society. We're social creatures. We need the relationships. We feel so lonely and isolated we're not babas living up in the mountains and in and have like renounced everything no we are relational creatures so we need society which is what helps us thrive and that word thrive is what i use is that when you look at nature nature is striving for growth constantly but it's not necessarily a competition it's in flow and it works so for me nature is very feminine and it's always thriving if you just leave a house in the middle of nature it will be overgrown and the cement will slowly crumble because the nature around it is just thriving no matter what. Like you look at the sidewalk and this like little shoot is coming up in the middle of the cement and you're like, like where did that come from, you know? It will always be thriving. And so that's like where I see it going against the competition, against the needing, you know, the neediness for growth. And capitalism, you know, it works. It works and it's not working for us anymore. It was what we needed. We got to where we are today because of it. And depending on how you want to live your life, you can be capitalistic. I really believe in open open viewpoints. And then just notice, is it actually making you happy? Are you giving back? Like what's going on? Feel again. Okay, that's the feminine trait. Feeling, tune into your feelings. Are you truly happy? Because ultimately, what is this life if it's not to be happy? What is this life if you're not enjoying yourself? And that's, again, going back to Tantra. It's this feeling of aliveness. It's the experience. What are you here for but to experience? Because if you only want money, you actually don't. You want money for something. You want money for the experience of ease. You want money for the experience of first-class travel. You want money for the experience. So have the experience now, and then money will just come anyway. Like, I truly believe that. I truly believe that. And if you go, woo-woo, that's because of the law of attraction. You know, you cannot not be in that energetic vibration of what you want and then it not come to you. Yeah, totally. I mean, there, there's two things that really resonate there, Nora. I think you know, the first is I, I wholeheartedly agree that kind of going forward, we kind of, the, regardless of whether future female, I agree that it needs to be feminine-led. I think the masculine has overshadowed and overpowered so much of what we understand about the world today. And the future has to be more feminine than it was, right? And I think, again, I also agree that we, still need both, right? Because otherwise, without the masculine, without the feminine, we don't have that interplay, right? So I agree about that. And I also love that notion that kind of capitalism isn't all bad. Capitalism has created so many of the best things that we have in life today. 
going forward, we probably need a new version kind of of life, right? And kind of, you know, capitalism, you know, version two or whatever the kind of new, new label is, like we need to kind of continue building and evolving this because capitalism as it is today does not serve everyone equally, right? So those two things really stood out to me. I would love to kind of end this conversation. You mentioned your own book. I can't be the only one on this podcast plugging an upcoming book. I would love for you to tell kind of readers kind of that are still with us and still not scared away by all the woo-woo-ness about your new book and when it is out. Yeah, thank you for allowing me to talk about my book. I wrote my book this year in 2020 and the title is Confident, Sexy and Wildly Free. And it's my personal development journey through how did I get over this anxiety? How did I get over this fear of not being loved, of not being able to be myself? How did I turn into this really confident, sexy and wildly free woman? And I call it like a playbook because it's filled with meditations, with journaling questions, with like mindset journaling questions, with activities that you can do to really look at yourself. It it is geared towards women because that is my main target audience. However, men have read it and have been like, wow, uh, you know, I actually got something out of it the subtitle is how to own your worth ditch the self-doubt and not give a fuck what anybody thinks of you (laughs) Uh, and it's coming out um, around my birthday which is in November 2020 please if you have you know if you enjoyed my talk if you like the passion with which I talk with if you anything resonated from this podcast I can guarantee you that there are some gems for you in my book so there's the little plug Awesome. That sounds amazing. And I, again, uh, I think like, at least in terms of my journey, again, doesn't have to be along gender lines here. When I've been open to reading the kinds of books that I would not necessarily read otherwise, or expose myself to people that I would not necessarily engage otherwise, those have been the most illuminating things, right? So I think, you know, to your point, for anyone that identifies as male out there, totally read the book. Like there's always something that's kind of, I think we can find like for ourselves in those spaces, something that we can take along with us on the next stretch of our journeys. Mm, So true. Awesome stuff. Nora, before I let you go, where can listeners follow you? Where should they follow you? And when can they, like, what's the best way if they want to get the book first to actually get the book first and get that news of when Mm. it's published? I'm a really big fan of Instagram, so you can follow me on Instagram. It's my full name, at Nora Wendell. Also, come check out my website. I have a lot of free resources and blogs up that you can read more about femininity, sexuality, relationships. And in in terms of the book, it'll be on Amazon right now as of this recording. There's just a book waitlist, which is just norawendell.com forward slash book waitlist. You can download the first chapter for free to get a sneak peek. Otherwise, it will be available in the coming months on Amazon. Awesome stuff. Thank you so much, Nora. I will link that up in the show notes for everyone that uh, is lazy and does not want to Google. They could just click a link. We'll make it easier for them. Thanks so much for your time. And thanks so much for all of the insights and all the stories. Mm, thank you so much for allowing me to share my passion and my pleasure. Awesome. Thanks, Nora. That's it for me for today's episode. If anything in today's conversation really resonated with you, please do send me an email on ad at lifeprofitability.com. That's A-D-I-I at lifeprofitability.com. You can also leave a review on iTunes, which helps me to improve the show and perhaps also helps me to reach someone else that needs to hear this or might find this helpful. I'll be back here with another great guest next week. Cheers. Cheers.